welcome to the Weekly Song Podcast. This is episode 155, the third episode of season 17 of the podcast. Uh, my name is Roger Heathers, I'm your co-host, and with me as always is my uh, co-host, Declan Kitchener. How are you doing, Hello. Declan? Hello! I'm doing fine, thank you. You have just chucked a lot of numbers at that audience. Uh, there will be a test at the end. Um, if you failed your algebra, uh, I'm very sorry. Um, also not relevant because this is a songwriting podcast. <laughs> they say, don't they say though, like music and math are very similar? I used to hate that when I was younger. I kind of get it more now, but I've never been good at math. And um, I'm only partially oh, good at music. Do you? I bet you were good at maths at school, actually. I get that impression. I, I will, I, I wasn't good at it, but I loved it. <laughs> huh. uh, I did further maths at A level, and I got a D. So that tells you about um, <laughs> about my uh, level of skill with mathematics. I can I can make jokes about matrices and imaginary numbers, and that's about it. That's that's where I top out on my maths nerdiness. <laughs> Have you got any good matrices jokes? No. Oh. There are no good matrices. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, well, okay, well that's all right. I mean, if if you were graded on how much you loved maths, you probably wouldn't have got a D. Yes, no, quite correct. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Did, what was the last grade I got for music? Um, I, I got all my, C's. I think the last music thing I would have done would have been. Not GCSC, I think that would have been Key Stage 3. Um, so I don't think I would have been graded for that. Okay. Because, of course, you didn't do music at college, did you, or university? No. Um, I did uh, up to grade 3 on piano, uh, and that was more just so that I could learn how pianos worked. Uh, that was about it. <laughs> <laughs> how pianos work. Well, I mean, despite our, I mean, besides our um, education backgrounds, we are coming at you with two brand new songs this week. If you're not familiar with the format of the podcast, what we do is uh, Declan and I, we each write a song in the space of a week. And we bring them to this show and we talk about how we wrote them, the, you know, the structure and the inspiration and the lyrics and all that kind of thing that goes into songwriting. And this week we are going to listen to Declan's weekly song first. Um, Declan, what is your song called and how does it go? Uh, so the the first song of today's podcast is called "The Things I Miss." Uh, this kind of lets you know <laughs> what kind of tone we're going for. <laughs> um, it uh, it goes like this. I can't say what I wanted, but it wasn't this. I used to have the world at my fingertips. No, it's early days, but I can't resist I can't help but remember all the things I miss I'm not blind to the position where I ended up To compare my life to others is illusion, but But I meant to me have done the same, I'll join the list I can't help but remember all the things I miss Sometimes in my eyes I'm always at the ready with an alibi There's nothing they can do, it's true and I insist Please just let me simmer in the things I miss 
I'm locked inside a loop, I know it's hard to change I wallow in self-pity, stay inside my brain This song is all I really have to show for miss I need to free myself from everything I miss Break out of the circle and change my ways I know I should the first step's so hard as it's getting late Show me what to do That was The Things I Miss. That's uh, Declan's third song of season 17. Uh, more numbers for you there. I really love this. This is fantastic. Uh, really, really cool. Um, I was saying to you while we were listening to it... Uh, one of the things I really like about it is you've got the things I miss as the title, but you'll bring it back in, like, in the refrain, but it's also at the end of the verses. It's, like, in different points, which I always think is a clever move. Um, yeah, yeah, I love it. Thank you. It's basically just the thing... That's basically just a thing of, um, you know, old folk songs uh, where you don't have choruses as such, you just have a load of verses that all resolve to the same phrase. Hmm. That is That is this. Um, <laughs> well, we are going to return to that theme later, I think. Ooh, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm going to be honest with you. This one is a uh, rush job on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> it happens, it happens. But I mean, it, yeah. you wouldn't have guessed it. It sounds really well put together, and the fact that you have those reoccurring things and stuff. Uh, thank you. Um, I think it's the closest I've sounded to Ed Sheeran in a while, and I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing. <laughs> um, uh, it's it, it it grew out of uh like playing with simple harmonic relationships so like from the third so this song is an e so the third would be g sharp uh minor to a to e three to four to one that's a solid enough pattern to base something around yeah um then it got to the point where i sort of slightly changed that uh from being uh three four one uh g sharp minor a e to being g sharp minor e over a uh e uh and then also doing those different ending parts so the start part of every phrase is the same but uh the first time it resolves a to e uh second time it resolves a to b third time it resolves a to C sharp minor, and then C sharp minor, B minor, A to E. Um, there aren't many chords in this song. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's some things I really like about um, the way you use the chords and the timings in this song. The main one I really like is in the chorus, you the um, frequency of the chords or where they're placed increases, which I really like. It's something that you do quite often, which I really admire. And I've said to you before, it's kind of like the Disney thing, like a lot of Disney songs do this, where... When you say in the chorus, change my ways, each one of those words has a different chord attached to it, which increases the movement of the um, of the feel of the song. Um, thank you, but it, it doesn't, actually. Those oh, are all okay. C-sharp minor. Um, it feels more like they are different chords because the bass uh, changes. It's e, ah. It's following the vocal line uh, E, D-sharp, C-sharp. Um, so I suppose technically it's C-sharp over E, C-sharp over D-sharp, C-sharp... Uh, if that makes sense, mm. um, but uh, yeah, that 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 more about came because I wanted to do something fun with the bass. Um, also, I had too much fun recording the bass for this. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you were enjoying the bass. It's done. It's got a lot of sliding around and bounciness to it. 
Yes, it's one it's one of those moments where you think, okay, this doesn't technically fit the mood of the song, <laughs> but it's a vibe, so we're going for it. Yeah, I love that recently, um, I mean, I would say recently, but like the past few seasons, you've been putting bass in your songs, and I think it's noteworthy here because I thought it was three separate chords when you say, you know, change my ways and, and other uh, instances where you say that. But uh, it just goes to show how much the bass can influence a song and how you can actually have relatively straightforward... Because this song's, correct me if I'm wrong, but quite diatonic. It's quite sort of within the key. But the bass yeah, sure, adds a different correct. different bit of movement to it, which is nice. Yeah, so like you get chords over different bass chords, which sort of implies different things. I think there's one diminished chord, but it sort of fits in place, as it were, as a transitional chord between mm. 5 and 6, B and C sharp minor. Um yeah, uh, we've said it before and we'll say it again. Uh, bass is your secret weapon. Use it well. Um, particularly if you, uh, well, going back to playing on the piano. Uh, if you if you know how to play the piano, you'll know that uh, changing what you do in the left hand really has a big impact on the voicings of your chords. Uh, particularly if you do what Roger does when he plays piano and he plays the first and the fifth most of the time, as opposed to me, where I just go octaves. <laughs> well, your, your thumb and your pinky... Are much further apart than mine. They, they, it's like a zebra crossing, just to sort of <laughs> close them together. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think I learned the the chords on piano. Like I learned a C chord, C E G, and then I thought, okay, I'll just play that with my left hand too, and realized that having the third in there didn't really work. So it's very much, you know, just kind of easiness or laziness, if what do you want to call it. <laughs> Whereas I'm just aiming for two notes and hoping that I get them right. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so how did this song start out and uh, what was sort of the genesis of it? Uh, so it, it did literally start with that um, G sharp minor to A to E. Uh, it was originally a bit more strummy, a bit folky, a bit more sad. Um, then I realised, um, wait a minute, I can, I can put a bit of a rhythm on this. So I did. And and there it is. Um, <laughs> that's the long yeah. and the short of it. Uh, yeah, uh, the the vocal was kind of improvised over the chords, um, trying my best not to just do them straight, but also kind of trying to keep the movement in there. Um, I'm not a singer, so I'm very bad at describing uh, the creation of vocal lines. Um, but... Uh, yeah, the the only other note with a bit is that it's got that sort of reset riff in the middle of um, uh, the chorus, which uh, wasn't originally like that. But when I came to play it for this session, uh, for for recording this, I I couldn't quite remember what it was originally. So it is the right notes, just not necessarily in the right order. <laughs> to quote to quote that old sketch. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's great. Another another cool melodic thing that I heard in this song is. Um... And I'm not quite sure what it is. I was wondering if I could could ask you what it is. Is um, it'd be weird if you said no, like no way. <laughs> I'm not telling you. Um, I must keep end- my secrets <laughs> while I broadcast this in public. <laughs> At the end of the chorus, to get back into the verse, the only way I can describe it because I don't know the chords, but you walk down of the chords or something or the melody back into the verse. That's a cool moment. Thank you. Um, that was uh, yeah. It it was difficult to try and work out how to get back into the song because that's a big slowdown moment um so the chords are, are a and b um so it's actually going up 
Um, but the melody line is going from C sharp to B to A to G sharp. Um, sort of traveling down, you get some country motion. This is a very musical Ooh. feeling. <laughs> yeah, we love country motion, we do. Country um, motion, <laughs> like country truck, motion. <laughs> three truck one, driver. Five, one, five, one. <laughs> country motion. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> that's a title. Yes, yes. But no, no, you're totally right. Yeah, the contrary motion works really well. But I think this song is a really good example of how you're using most, like you know, like you say, apart from the diminished, little uh, else but diatonic chords, but there's so much um, melodic information going on, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, thank you. Um, it, it, it's basically just a load of cheap tricks <laughs> to make it seem cleverer <laughs> than it is. <laughs> um, but no, I mean... Yeah, you could, in theory, do, like, the, the bar chord version of this, or, like, uh, put a capo and play it in C, and it would kind of work. Um, that That's fun. That's fine. Uh, mm. It just goes to show you can extrapolate out of seemingly se- simple sequences and do something a bit more distinctive with them. Or you can just play the simple sequences, you know, because that's fun too. <laughs> you can take this both ways so to speak. Uh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely you can. Um, so I imagine this was one where it was come up with the music, get a good structure down, get that skeleton figured out, the skeleton of the song, I mean, and then um, uh, and then figure out some lyrics. Did you have a good idea of what you were going to write about lyrically um, at oh, the stage? I never of... have a good idea of what I'm going to write ah. about lyrically. Never, ever, ever. Yeah, me neither. Um, uh... Yeah, this this was one of those ones where the first line kind of dominated everything. Uh, I don't know what I wanted, but it wasn't this. It's just like, well, you can't start with that and not explore it. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. So uh, like, it's kind of um, just writing out that first verse, trying to figure out what point I was making, ending on the things I miss, and realizing like, oh yeah, that's the theme, and then proceeding to do. The same four times over, but trying mm. to maybe subtly shift it by song's end. <laughs> no, I, th- I think you did a really good job of communicating the feeling and making it feel universal at the, and at the same time personal. I think, uh, you know, it, it, it resonates and it's communicated well. Thank you. Um, yeah, uh, it, it, it's basically just that thing of... Uh, you know, just missing the way things used to be. Missing uh, makes it you don't see quite so much anymore or like, uh, you know, missing a particular set of circumstances, whether they were good for you or not, uh, which, you know, I tried to make sure that I had in, uh, like, I think it's the second verse was like, okay, I'm aware of how, like, bad things have been in the past, but it wasn't all bad. It's hard, like, yeah. not, to, it's hard not to see the past with rose-tinted glasses sometimes, I find. Yeah, no matter what part of the past that you look at, uh, and all the problems you had with it at, the, at that particular point, mm-hmm. you're always going to look at the bright side afterwards. So like, oh, you know, I hate living with my parents. Oh, I don't have any, uh, you know, I'm living to someone else's schedule. I don't have any space on my own. I don't have any free time. It's just like, yeah, but you didn't pay rent, though. You have more money. <laughs> yeah. Or like, um, uh, or like uh, you know, oh, I hated living with a living landlord and like uh, all of this. It's like, yeah, but the house was fixed. If anything broke, that was nice. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, there is always a silver lining. I, I wonder if you get this. Like, sometimes when I look back at an old photo, you know, I'll say when I was like 19, 20, whatever, and I'm smiling in the photo, and I, I think to myself, you don't know what you had. You were so lucky. Even though in the actual moment in that in that photo, I'm sure I had, like, all these inner anxieties and worries and all these things, but you look back and you well, go... You know... Dear Rogers, just because we're 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 elders of the scene now, we 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 we're over thirty, you know. We 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 need to lie down in the nap after every single episode oh, and a nice dear. warm Horlicks. Well, I mean, our our SoundCloud profile still says two young musicians write a song. Yeah, we need to week. update that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, um, but uh. Are you going to do anything with this song? Are you going to produce it? And if you do, can I just request just loads of Shaker? Just Shaker just should be the foundation. Would you, would you like to record this song and just put all the Shaker on it? I like to do the Shaker parts, for sure. You can do the Shaker-only mix of this song. <laughs> It'll be a hit. <laughs> I still want songwriting credit, though. Of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, of course. But uh, yeah, do you reckon this will be on a project? Because it's a strong song. Uh, we'll see. I mm. don't know that it necessarily fits my vibe. I don't hate it. We, we, I, I need time to live with it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. See how I feel. Ask me again at the end of the season. Yeah, that's the thing. Sometimes it takes reflection, doesn't it? It's like... When you look back at the end of the season, you go, okay, there's these seven songs. And for me, I often know my duds. I know if I have a dud in there. Um, you got the dud. But I usually <laughs> look back and I, I don't know, it's different. It's different when you have some distance and separation from the song. So I, I fully get that. It's this weird thing when you just record something and you have this dual thing of like, uh, I think Josh has said this to us before, uh, of like, well, that's the worst thing I've ever recorded. I'm going to listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember saying that. That's so funny. I mean, it's true. I I mean, not to go too off topic, but just real quick, like, uh, one of my albums got recommended to me on Spotify the other day, which was weird in itself. And I, I listened to, like, the first couple tracks thinking I was going to cringe because this is something that's, like, six years ago, which is long enough for it to just be, like, an old you know, cringe-worthy thing. And I listened to it, and I couldn't hear the mistakes I could hear at the time. It's like, Again, it's that thing of, like, looking back with rose-tinted glasses. Like, it's easier to kind of accept things more um, objectively when you look back. I tend to find if you do find those mistakes, it's less like, oh, no, oh, this is going to ruin the entire thing. Oh, it's going to be terrible. You mm. look back at it and you think, that's funny. We fucked up. That's, <laughs> yeah. a, that's a fun fuck-up. <laughs> I think it's being identified with things. If you listen to a, like a fuck up, like right after you record it and you're identified with like, oh, that means I'm a bad guitarist or whatever. Like that's way worse than if if your friend heard it and they went, oh, yeah, I heard you made a mistake. And like you say, that's funny. It's like a joke. You know, that's way less serious than actually going, oh, I'm a failure or whatever. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no, everything's falling apart because I played the wrong note on the guitar. <laughs> like I think on Schnookums there's there's one uh um my whole life is passing me by, uh where I go to the G one chord too early and it sticks out like a sore thumb and I sort of noticed this as we were mixing it, I just thought, No, I I can't be the one to tell Roger. I can't be the one to like 
bring this forward. And as I've listened to it more and more, it's just like, oh, that idiot. What did he? Oh, that goofy goober played the uh, played the wrong note there, didn't he? He uh, got a bit above his head. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that 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 demonstrates one of two things: either you are too hard on yourself, and you know I didn't notice, so who cares? Or it means that <clears throat> me, as the co-producer of the album, is completely like having these oversights of like you know not even seeing mistakes and stuff. Yeah. But I've never wrong noticed. Wrong note. Wrong note. <laughs> uh, it's fine. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's only 12 notes. I mean, come on, it's, it's not too bad. Yeah, you got a 1 in 12 chance of being right. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. N- it's nearly 10%. <laughs> um, funnily enough, um, my song is in the same key as your song, and it uses a lot of the same chords this week. Ooh. So it's going to be interesting to compare, like, the different... Um, the different ways we use the same chords, because um, yours was based around like three five one, sorry three four one, you know, as the main core riff, and mine's based around one four five as the main core. Heretic, riff. heretic, I know. burn him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, is there anything else you want to touch on uh, about your weekly song this week, um, or do you want to move on? I think we've pretty much covered everything. I want to hear your song. Okay, well. My weekly song this week is called I Don't Know Why, and uh, it goes like this. One, two, three, Stop, but I don't know why. 
So that was Roger's song this week. Uh, and how does he write them so good? I don't know why. Um, except I do because he's really talented. Uh, and he's very good at his, he's very good at this songwriting malarkey. I Aww. really quite like that. That's a, that's a very sweet, very sort of, sort of very heartfelt song. And it's very nicely put together. Um, uh, very good lyrical imagery in this one. Like a lot of very simple images, but very strong images. Uh, was this, you know, you've been saying about like having an idea of what you're going into each song writing about and everything. Uh, is, 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 is this one of the beneficiaries of that? Um, I suppose it is, but it's not quite as simple as um, I had kind of the same thing as you did with your song, right? I had the first line, which was kind of a lock. You know, when you give it everything you've got, but it just won't grow. There's quite a lot in that. And there's quite a lot of potential of like places you can branch out to um, write about. But when I had that lyric and obviously I had my chords just for that part, just that little section. That was the first seed I got of the of the song. E major, G sharp minor, uh, A major. So one, uh, three. Four. I said a different chord number earlier, but anyway, um, it's, it's, this just goes to show how different we write with the same chords. I know, right? And that's you know just how vast music is, and you know you can do so much with it. Um, and so I had that that lyric, and like you, I was just thinking, okay, right, that's a good lyric. That's a you know it works. What's the song about? And um, I'm still kind of it's not the most so- <clears throat> it's not the most solid song subject I've ever had. But generally speaking, it's just about kind of what it says in the first verse. When you kind of you give it something your all, whether it's a relationship, and it, the song's very open ended, so it can kind of be applied to anything. That's my ticket out of not saying <laughs> of saying I don't know what it's about. <laughs> um, but like, but seriously, like it's about like a relationship that you're giving a lot to, or like a um, an ambition that you really want to to flourish, but it isn't. And um, each kind of verse or section there's kind of three main sections explores a different thing so the first one's like it puts you in the image of like a a farmer who's who never gets his harvest you know he he plants the right seeds you know he prays for the rain and all this stuff and it never works and he doesn't know why you know can i just say uh there's a bug in every bag of seed that i uh sow or every bag Mm. of seed that i buy great line one of my favorite lines that i've heard from you in a while oh thank you um, but yeah, I that that sense comes across, uh, across quite strongly of like not getting out what you're get, putting into something, uh, mm. and I love the um, sort of you, you do this thing with the vocals where like on the just before the final line of each chorus you go uh, 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 to build them up highwards. Yeah, great speak English me, um, <laughs> and then. On the final verse, where it's a bit more downtrodden, you don't do that. Uh, yeah. After emphasising it in the guitar solo with those, um, is it chimes just going? Oh, like a glockenspiel, higher? yeah, yeah. Glockenspiel, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, that's kind of a nice sort of uh, te- uh, textural thing with your voice there. I like that. That's but- fun. It emphasises the emotions, and it makes me feel in my dead, dead heart. <laughs> Well, thanks. I mean, that's the thing with with a song that's like as repetitive as this is to have little moments where, oh, I thought he was going to climb up the melody there and he didn't. Or like, oh, it's quieter in the third verse than it was in the first verse. Or 
or like the um you know we always talk about this but like the um point of view of the narrator or singer changing and that sort of thing these things can create um some contrast where actually there's not much contrast in the chords because uh mm. the chords this feels are... very classical not classical as in like a like you know classical music but like very like traditional singer songwriter tricks put together in a very like sort of like well constructed way Thanks. Yeah, I think it is definitely like me trying to be more straightforward and simple. And, um, you know, again, there's so many parallels between my song and your song this week um, from like a music theory standpoint. Um, the only non-diatonic chord I use in this, I believe, is um, <clears throat> G sharp seven, you know, um, just to kind of get to the C sharp minor. And it's just a more sort of um, there's more of an emotion to that chord change than there is going from G sharp minor to uh c sharp minor so mm. Mm. Uh, yeah I, I i i really quite like this there's, there's there's not much uh more that i can say about that <laughs> oh, thank you thank you i mean the the bit that took the longest um well the bit that took the shortest was um the chords because the chords are it basically goes from uh e to G sharp minor to A, and sometimes I substitute the A for a C sharp minor. Like those two are very interchangeable. A E uh, G sharp C minor A B E. So four five one to to round it out. But it just kind of goes in a circle and always starts and ends with the E, which which is the root. Um, but the lyrics are the bit that took the longest. Um, I kind of got like a rough demo of me going, you know, when you give it, give it everything you got, but it just won't grow. Like it was just trying to figure out like there was a good like two, three days of me just sitting down at the computer, setting a timer for half an hour and just trying to figure out what the hell I was trying to say. And uh, that's the, I think that's the biggest change for me this season is just trying to like really work on the lyrics. I feel like in seasons, you know, the really early seasons of the podcast, I would just kind of like commit to whatever came out of my mouth. And sometimes that would make sense and sometimes it wouldn't. But um, I think there's something to iterating lyrics as you go along. Mm. Well, it kind of uh, definitely pays off in this case because this is a very similar structure to, again, to to the one that uh, I did earlier in that this one is actually one of those songs where it's not got a verse and a chorus structure, it's three verses and they all end the same way. So you're mm. building to similar points. Uh, and so you've, you've, you've kind of got a really nice sense of three different scenarios, but with the same underlying emotion and a slight shift by the end. It's, it's, it's really quite nice. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Yeah. I was pleased with this one, how it came out. Um, it's one of those ones where, although it's just a demo at this point, I might build on top of the demo rather than re-recording, because, you know, sometimes um, when you record the demo, usually when I record a demo, it's like, okay, I'm redoing this, obviously, because there's so much to be improved, but I feel like the, the general um, atmosphere of the song is kind of there, but maybe, like, some more harmonies or maybe some more percussion at certain points could, could benefit it, but I don't know. What do you reckon? I... I think uh, you're you're onto something there of recording on the demo. I think that's quite a nice sort of take to be uh, like going on with. Like I've actually uh, in in pa in the past I've always been someone like oh yeah no just redo it redo it from fresh. But then I've done that recently with um, a song called He's Got Me. Uh, I've just re-recorded over my original acoustic and bass 
uh, demo. <laughs> we recorded the vocals and added a, a shed load of synths onto it. Um, <laughs> nice. So yeah, I, th- I think that's um, a good process forward to be taking with this one. It's got the right vibe, I think. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, re- I reckon it'll be a fun one to produce up a little bit more. I mean, the demo itself is a little bit produced because it's got the harmonies and stuff, but um, I mean, with a simple song like this, you don't want to overcook it too much because otherwise it can feel a bit overproduced, but I think I might double the glockenspiel with... Because that's just... I, I can't find my regular chromatic glockenspiel. Um, so I use the... like. The oh, what, sa- a, what, a, what a sad time where, you, where an <laughs> instrument cannot... At this at this particular moment, find his chromatic glockenspiel. I mean, you've seen my place. Like, it's not that big, but it's <laughs> not. I can't see it anywhere. It's troubling. Well, if anyone knows where Roger's uh, chromatic glockenspiel is, please write in at weeklysongpodcast at gmail dot com, and <laughs> <laughs> and let me know. I've only got my non-chromatic one, my major scale for babies glockenspiel and it's in c major and i mean i could very speed the track but you know then we're getting into the weeds Ugh, diatonic <laughs> i thought you were gonna say oh very speed gross um but yeah that's pretty much all i can think to say about this one i think we both got pretty short songs around the two minute mark oh i did want to say this though actually um and i wonder what you think about your song with this in mind like extrapolating a song structure later on after the demo process because I was thinking to myself like I like the verses but maybe I could add in an extra verse at some point or I could add in a chorus like have you ever like retrofitted new sections to existing structures good question I'm genuinely having to consider this I mean to be Um, fair I put you on the spot I didn't even mention this before (laughs) I just came into my head (laughs) <clears throat> I, I I think at most a guitar solo, um, mm. but I but then I do tend to include gaps for things like that on the podcast. Yeah, um, you do. Yeah, yeah, because they tend to be more like structural to give time between verses and things. Um, I don't think I normally. Do. I've never, to the best of my knowledge, I've never introduced a new vocal section into a song after it's been done. I've tweaked lyrics and things um, and I've maybe done like a double chorus or something, but like not like added a verse in or something. No, same. Usually I like to have um, all the actual sections pretty much cemented by the time I'm demoing it because then if I redo it or, you know, then you have the whole structure in your head. Um, but I was thinking with this song because it's like it just clocks over two minutes. I was thinking, ah, man, I could, I could add something else. But, but then there's nothing wrong with short songs either. I mean, I've got to remind myself that there's such a thing as making a song too long too. Yeah, there's uh, loads of Beatles songs that are under two minutes, and when I say loads, I mean probably a dozen, but that's close enough. Yeah, and sometimes I listen to um, even some of my favorite um, songwriters' songs, and I go. Eh, you know, you could have ended at chorus three, you know. Um, so I think shorter is usually a little better than longer. Depends, though. Yeah, I I think I tend towards shorter being better, but like, you you can have great long songs, but you've really got to earn it. Yeah, and I also feel that that tends to be quite a live thing as well. Yeah, how so? Well, just in the sense that everyone is there enjoying like the vibe at the same time. 
And so you sort of get swept up in it a little bit, just with the energy of everybody else in the room with you. Uh, so like doing that five minute guitar solo at the end of the set probably goes down really well in the room at the time and feels great. And if you were to do that uh, on the Studio Master, that would be self-indulgent uh, because <laughs> no one cares because you're listening to it on your own. Like, so it depends on context. That makes sense, actually. Uh... Yeah. I mean, you, why, uh, live recordings are d- entirely dependent on the vibe in all cases. That, that's kind of the reason why they work. But you would never do half the stuff you do live on a record. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I yeah, I, I always kind of maybe it's a self-esteem thing in a way. But sometimes I feel like if I have a really long song that repeats sections a lot, like, am I going to keep my listener? Whereas actually, maybe uh, maybe the listener has more tolerance than I give them credit for. Uh, but that's a me problem. That's not a you know anyone else problem. Hmm. <laughs> it's worth considering. But uh, yeah, no, I can't say that I've ever messed around with song structure like that. Hmm. Be interesting. Hmm. <laughs> I shall from this day on. <laughs> yeah. From now on, you'll just be a prog rock artist, and all your songs will be like twelve minutes long. And people will rue the day that you asked me that question. Ha ha ha. Um. Well. Listen to anything good recently? Um, I have um not really been keeping track. That's a very vague answer. <laughs> um, uh, I think the only thing is that I've just re-listened to uh both Breakfast in America by Supertramp and The Paris Show recently. Um, oh, they're quite nice. good. Yeah, yeah, I went through a bit of a super tramp phase recently. They are a very good band, but underrated. I quite like to be in a band that sounds like Super Tramp. Um Shocker, musician <laughs> wants to be in band that sounds good. Um <laughs> But they they are that sort of like nice, um, right on the middle ground between like their well written songs and their kind of a raw sounding band. Like you can tell they have rough edges, but they're also very w- nicely produced in that seventies way. So there's kind of best of both worlds. Yeah, and I've got a real soft spot for the uh, song "Another Man's Woman," particularly if you find like a live version of that. I I find that a lot of fun. Um, I'll have to check that than- out. Oh, it's a great song. I think mean, you've got it. I think it's on the Crisis What Crisis album, which I think you have. That is actually... It's funny you should say that. That's actually on my to-listen-to um, list of records at the moment. So uh, so I'll have to give well, that a listen. I'll let you know what the song... What I think. Of. I've heard it before, obviously, because I've heard the record before, but it's been one of those ones where it's been a while and I listened to the record like once when I was younger. I'd, I'd say try and find a live version of it if you can. It's a really cool song live. Um, mm. Other than that... Other than that, um, I have recently bought uh, David Kumu, uh, I Came From Love, on CD. I heard it earlier in the year and I quite liked it. Um, And I didn't realise that he was in an indie band uh, in uh, the early 2010s. So I listened to one of the albums from that band.
album's called Rispa. Uh, the band is The Invisible, and I like it. Um, <laughs> I sound <laughs> surprised. You. <laughs> no, you just like just the most like uh, I like it. It's music. <laughs> yes, it it is formed from notes of the musical uh, Western musical scale. Um, you can sort of tell it's the same voice as I came from love, but it is in like an indie band context. Uh, so there are a few more of those tropes and traits there, which I kind of like. It's always cool, like getting into someone when they've just put out a piece of work or like relatively recently and then going back and, and kind of going, Oh wow. Like that's how they used to sound and that's how they developed. I think there's loads of learning lessons, um, learning lessons in, uh, in that kind of learning thing. lessons there. Lad. <laughs> that's one of them learning lessons, but no, seriously, like it's, it's always good to hear a band in a slightly different genre context. I find. Hmm. Hmm. Sorry, you uh, you you finished just as I was uh, having a nice sip of my sugar-free cola. Ah, <laughs> your SFC, um, Southern Fried Chicken. That works. It works. Um, I've been listening to uh, this uh, past week, uh, Runt by Todd Todd Rundgren. I haven't listened to a ton of full albums recently, but I listened to that the other night, and that's a really good one. That's Todd Rundgren's second album. Remember I was saying um, last week about how I wrote a song in the style of his something anything era where like he would put down the drums first and everything. Mm. Well, this is kind of like the exact opposite. Um, he said about his 19th... He put down everything else first and then he recorded the drums. <laughs> I was told that's like the cardinal sin. When I was at college, people went, never, never put the drums on after you've you know recorded the rhythm track, you know, the guitars and stuff. I mean, it's good guidance but it's not a hard and fast rule no true and plus also they weren't oh. as aggressive as i made out oh also uh just on that point there's uh you can point to simon garfunkel for a counter example um the sound of silence was originally recorded just as the acoustic guitar and the vocals uh the version that was on the next album uh has a band on it including a drummer and what i love is that the they clearly didn't have um for the drummer, they didn't have uh, the guide track up uh, loud enough. <laughs> so you can hear towards the end when they're starting to slow down, the drummer is still going at the same speed until he realises, oh. oh, I need to stop. <laughs> what? And they, they kept that? That's on the master. Wow. I feel like they didn't even care back then. Like They were just like, yeah, that's fine. We've run out of time yeah. for the day. <laughs> it's a hit song. Put a beat on it. <laughs> you just recorded your first number one record. Uh, but that is... And now you're dead. <laughs> tell you another good example. Yeah. Another good example of that, um, adding uh, the rhythm track on later, is uh, the Beatles' Threetles stuff. You know, like Now and Then, Real Love, uh, Free as a Bird. Um, which is interesting. I actually watched... Um, because I, I was kind of getting into that Threetle stuff again, uh, the like the kind of making of Real Love and that sort of thing. And, uh, of course, they had Jeff Lynne produce, and there was a bit where Paul McCartney was saying, like, he took the John Lennon cassette demos and, like, 
basically put them to a grid so that everything was in time because you know the nature of recording a um piano demo in your house without a metronome is going to be that there's some ebb and flow to the time so i mean i think those worked well as far as putting drums on after yeah well i mean that's unique circumstances um mm. but uh yeah to be think thinking about it that would have been the case of made in heaven as well um because i know those would have been done to a drum track originally but to put roger's drums on mm. uh they would have had to re-record a lot of that um yeah, again, helps that it was done to a click track and it was dance songs beforehand, but... Yeah, <laughs> yeah very true. Um, I was just laughing because I was remembering Ringo um, in this documentary. He had a proper Palpatine, I am the Senate moment in this documentary, which I didn't see coming. Because um, uh, <laughs> he said, I always had this... I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I always had this argument going on with Jeff Lynne when he was producing those later, you know, um, posthumous Beatles tracks, basically. He, he said um, he always wanted me to play to a click and he said, I am the fucking click. <laughs> he got really angry. <laughs> I was like, wow, Ringo, I didn't see that in you. Well, I mean, to be fair, though, that's kind of the way they would have performed back then. Like, uh, it would have been mm. on him to be in time. And he's a good drummer. Like, mm. it, it, it sounds scandalous, <laughs> but Ringo Starr was kind of good at his job. There was a time, like, when we were young teenagers. I don't know if this was, you know, popular with people, you know, you knew and stuff, but people used to say Ringo sucks. Like, he's not a good drummer. I feel like oh, that's... No, that's, that... a, that's a common conception just because he's not one of the songwriters. I mean, he wrote two songs, we know that. Um, but I think the key point is that people judge him for his creative merits in terms of like oh how many songs did he write and you know uh how talented a vocalist is he let's be honest he's the weakest vocalist out of the four but also doesn't mean he's a bad vocalist mm. um and like his parts are creative they're never overplayed and i think i when they were doing the love remix album they were saying like, okay, so we've gone through all the tapes of all the Beatles songs, and bear in mind there's like around two hundred of them. Hmm. Uh, and sometimes they go up to things like "Not Guilty," for example. They got up to take a hundred and four, wow. I think, uh, at, before skipping it entirely. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, so, in all that time, they on the tapes they only discovered times where they had to stop because Ringo messed up about 12 times wow in the history well of the history that we've got of the uh, beatles recording career i i watched um i can't remember what this was on something on youtube i've been in a big beatles phase recently and i wonder why <laughs> yeah I know, it's, it is kind of tis the season isn't it but um ringo was saying like i was just always ready to go and you can see that in the get back documentary and all the kind of in-studio footage and stuff like whenever paul started like Ringo would start with him. He was he would just always play the right beat, like right there. And then when he wasn't needed and it wasn't called for, he was silent, which is unheard of with drummers. <laughs> I speak as a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that thing of uh, he didn't have quite as much creator say in the rest of the Beatles output. He says, uh, that's that great quote, Sgt. Pepper's was a great album, but I did learn to play chess on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, compare that to other famous drummers that i know uh very few of them um but like for example roger taylor and queen uh was very much involved in the songwriting and very much a key creative member and of the band uh you have like 
Taylor Hawkins in the Foo Fighters, uh, where like you have quite a strong brotherly sense of connection between him and Dave Grohl, and that sort of lends the tone to a lot of the rest of the record. And he's also one of the singers, so he's still involved in that. Uh, uh, you have Mick Fleetwood, who's kind of like the captain of the ship in Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Like, uh, like Lindsay Buckingham is making all the key creative decisions, but it's Mick Fleetwood that's letting him do it, if you know what I mean. Right. That's a good, good way of putting it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think um, drummers are very important. I mean, it sounds like a you know, obvious thing to say, but, but yeah, I think... But the Rick... thing is, Ringo didn't have that. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, but I don't know. I think he, he was, and he is great, you know. Um, yeah. Shock, Beatles fan, they think Beatle is good. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's good music. Um but yeah, um the, the album Runt is is a good one. I would recommend that. Um it's just it's called Runt the Ballad of Todd Rundgren, and a lot of it is piano ballads and things like that. Um in this was in like nineteen seventy two or one, I wanna say, but in nineteen seventy eight he put out an album called um The Hermit of Mink Hollow, which is my personal favourite one. And uh in an interview I read, he said, like, that was pure songwriting. And I think I can then he said, like, around that, something along the lines of, like, something, anything and everything were very much, like, built um, from the ground up, like I was describing earlier. But uh, I think when he says that was pure songwriting, that kind of goes for the Ballad of Tom Rudgren, too, where, like, I feel like the songs were demo written and demoed in the traditional sense, and then parts were, like, added later, you know. Hmm. I'll have to check it out. I've not listened to much Todd Rundgren. I definitely recommend it. I think he's a good artist to do a, a discog dive of. Um, definitely think that's a good idea. Um, Coming to Mike the Snare soon. Oh, I wish. I wish. I pray for that episode. I really do. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I believe we have an email, don't we? Uh, yes, we do. Uh, from regular uh, correspondent to the podcast, uh, Ansley Hendricks. Um she has sent in uh, an original song, Hide and Seek, and she writes, Hi, Roger and Declan. So happy you guys are back. I'm loving your new songs you brought in this week. I'd love to share my latest original, Hide and Seek, off my debut album, Always Original, available now on Bandcamp. Remember that game, Hide and... Yeah, I know. Uh, remember that game, Hide and Seek, we always played as kids? It's fun when you're little and you grow up and you find you're playing it again, only differently. We often hide within ourselves, thinking that we can seek comfort. But... I find you can only seek comfort from letting go of fear. The F major, G major, A minor chord structures in the chorus was influenced by Alicia Cara's Scars to Your Beautiful. I find that I like to craft themes for my songs based on what I'm currently listening to. Enjoy. Uh, we will. Sounds like this. Repeat nine times again. 
will be okay once they count to ten. Here it comes, the hope it comes so near. Here it comes, yet it all seems so unclear. Will you remember what to say when there are no words behind so tall that you can't reach? It's just a game we play of hide and seek. Two seconds until the rise of dawn as the silent darkness presses on why do all these feelings feel so wrong when all you know to do is just be strong here it comes the hope it comes so so unclear Will you remember what to say when there are no words for heights at all that you can't reach It's just a game we play of hide and seek Here it comes That was uh, Hide and Seek, uh, the latest song from Ansley Hendrix, which uh, she said is on her new release on her Bandcamp, which is ansleyhendrix.bandcamp.com. I really like this, and I, I think, I mean, I like each song that Ansley sends us, even better than the last one, and there was a lot of, like, uh, cool piano work in this one, particularly some of the, like, I don't know, it sounds like sus4 chords and things like that. Very cool. Yeah, nice bit of uh, ambiguity in the chords there. Like, interesting that sort of canon thing, like the vocals looping back on themselves and everything. Definitely. I think another thing that Ansley does really well, which I kind of touched on earlier, which I'd like to be able to do, <clears throat> is really communicate what the song's about. And I think she does that really well. I mean, obviously we had the, you know, the description of what it's about, but I would have known that anyway, just listening to the lyrics, I think. Yeah, it's nice and clear. It's a sort of nice, sort of consistent tone throughout the whole thing. Really like it. Thanks for sending that in. Yeah, thank you very much. So that's it for this episode of the Weekly Song Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you have any songs that you want to send in, or if you've got any thoughts on the episode, or if you just fancy a good natter, why not write into weeklysongpodcast at gmail.com. 
Um, you can also find us on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, um, various places on the internet, I'm sure. Uh, Google us and go wild. Um, uh, Roger, where yeah. can people find your music and any other activities that you do online, at least the ones you want to share with us. Oh, that's a terrible reading. <laughs> well, I have an OnlyFans page, and, uh, you know, I do some pretty hot stuff over there. <laughs> he plays with diminished chords and sustained fourths. Ooh. Ooh, dirty. Um, but in all, in, <laughs> in all seriousness, you can find yeah. my music on Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music, and uh, Tidal, and all these different places, pretty much all the streaming services, by searching my name, Roger Heathers. Um, you can also find uh, Schnookums, which is Declan and I, on uh, all those places as well. Um, Pea Green mm. Boat is a project to do with my, my friend Joe O'Neill as well, and... Uh, Mm. As well as that, uh, you can find uh, the place I'm most active is Instagram at Roger Heathers, and I've recently started a newsletter and a Substack where I write about music and write about the music making process and share some behind the scenes demos and things, uh, which uh, you can find on my Instagram. So uh, that's me. How about you, Declan? Where can people find you and your music online? Um, they can find me and my music online in 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 pretty much the same places that they can find yours, mostly only with fewer options. Really? Um, uh, uh, I mean, Spotify, Tidal, uh, iTunes, um, Bandcamp, um, various things like that. Uh, I have an Instagram. Um, I don't use it very much, but you can you can sort of see me talking nonsense about various songs that I'm listening to at the moment. If you look at the stories, um. I I don't have a sub stack. I don't know what that is. Um, I don't <laughs> have a f- newsletter. I do know what that is. Um, uh, that that that's about it. Uh, you mentioned Snookums, uh, which is the project that the two of us together. And see if you can listen through to the songs and find where I played the bass note wrong. And if any of you come up with uh, the wrong position, I'm going to be quite sad because that means I've made two mistakes. <laughs> oh, the mistake, and then the mistake about the mistake. Now that's a mistake. Yeah. It's a mistake yeah. I thought was correct, so... <laughs> <laughs> this is the best kind of mistake. Oh, well, uh, yeah, really fun episode. Loving this season. Loving the songwriting. Um, yeah. And I'm loving the bit where we say ta at the end of every episode. Ta-ra! ta